Welcome to the audio channel of the Reverend Dr. C.H.E. Sadoffel. His purpose is to preach Christ, teach the Bible, and make disciples. Now let us open our Bibles and our hearts as we listen to him proclaim the Word of God. Church, I would invite the congregation to stand. And please turn to Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. As we will first pray and then read the Word of God. Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 to 2. Let us pray. And now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen his servant to deliver a word of truth so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. Psalm number 9, verses 1 to 2. The NASB says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Please be seated. Church, I want everyone to conduct a medical experiment. I want you to take the two fingers of your right hand, your index and your middle finger, and place it on the wrist of your other hand, where, you're at the, where the base of your thumb is. You're going to feel it boom, 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 boom. If you feel that boom, 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 that means a lot. Congratulations, you're alive. You're a person. You're a human being. And if you are a person, if you are a flesh and bones entity, you do not need me to tell you life is not a highlight reel. Life ebbs and flows. Life is full of ups and downs. That's what being a real life human being is all about. There are mountains. There are valleys, and this morning we're going to be in Psalm number 9, where we begin in a mountain of glory. We begin in a mountain of praise, and then we're going to descend into a valley of conflict. But before we dive into Psalm number 9, we have to ask ourselves, how did we get here? We got here by going through Psalms number 1 through 8. What happens there? In Psalm number one, we had the two ways, the godly way and the ungodly way. The godly way lives to life, blessings, and salvation. The ungodly way leads to destruction. Psalm number two talks about the nations rising up against Jesus, and God's response is, he laughs. Because he has installed his king upon Zion, his holy mountain. And then in Psalm number 3 through 7, David is in the valley of conflict. Where in all of those psalms, he engages earthly enemies and looks to his heavenly father to save and deliver him. And then Psalm number 8 is a glorious mountain peak of exaltation and praise 
where David casts his eyes on the heavens above and says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained. And he magnifies and glorifies his maker. And as I said, Psalm number nine begins on a mountain of high praise before it descends into the valley of earthly conflict. What was the point, beloved, taking through that tour of the Psalms? To tell the church that the Psalms are real. Just like your pulse proved that you're a human being, that life ebbs and flows, so do the Psalms. They go up and down. They talk about real people living in real life. And now that we're at Psalm number 9, Psalm number 9 talks about real life. It's a psalm that is a hymn of praise and prayer in the midst of tribulation. Believers may be deflated by all sorts of vexations, injustices, evil, and diverse sorts of earthly realities, but no matter how many trials and tribulations we go through, we rest on the eternal fact that God is in charge. In general, Psalm number 9 teaches us. Psalm number 9 is a hymn of hope that strengthens the faith and courage even of a faint-hearted saint. How does it do that? It teaches us how to hope in God's justice. It teaches us how to hope in a justice that is perfect, that is never denied, and is eternal. It points us to trust in the God who is just and who never abandons his throne. And no one can usurp the God that is God, that is most high. For as Psalm number 9, verses 7 to 8 says, But the Lord abides forever. He has established his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the peoples with equity. Psalm number 9 teaches us how to hope in God's justice by showing us how we can place the short-term, temporary triumphs of the wicked against the certain, eternal triumph of God. Now that's our introduction to Psalm number 9 as a whole. Our exposition of the psalm is going to fall into three different parts. This morning is part one. We're looking at Psalm number 9, verses 1 to 2, where it's pure praise. Part two is verses 3 to 12, which is an affirmation of what God has done in the past and from recognizing what God has done in the past, David secures present confidence for the acute dilemma. And part number three is verses 13 to 20, where David makes a prayer for God to judge. So this morning we're in verses 1 to 2. And the title of this morning's message is Seven Marks of Powerful Praise. Now we just used a word, praise. What does that mean? 
What does praise biblically defined? Praise comes from a Hebrew word, hilal. And if you're saying that sounds familiar, you're right, because our word hallelujah stems from the root hilal. What does hilal mean? It's a form of worship. It means to boast, to cheer, to extol the greatness of God, to glorify him with excellent words, with a focus on the confidence the praiser has in God. Beloved, praise is verbal. Praise is expressive. You have to get praise out. When you are alone at home reading your Bible, that is not praise. That is Bible study time and meditation. But praise is verbal. Praise means you glorify God with words that you speak using language. And that praise is always in spirit and in truth. Now, Psalm number nine has an introduction. It says, for the choir director on Muthlaben, a psalm of David. On can mean upon, set to, or according to. Psalm number nine is on a Muthlaben. What's a Muthlaben? We don't know for sure. It could be the title of a song. It could be a particular type of tune. It could be a particular type of melody. But what the text tells us is that Psalm number nine isn't to be on anything else other than a Muth Laban. Which brings me to my first point. Seven marks of powerful praise. Mark number one. Powerful praise is proper. Powerful praise is proper. Psalm number nine is on a Muthlaben. It's not to be composed, sang, or rehearsed anywhere else. Psalm number nine cannot be recited any old way that you or I want to. It has to be rehearsed according to the way God tells us to. Because proper praise, powerful praise, is proper. True praise and worship is always offered to God on his terms. We are never allowed to praise God any old way that we see fit. In the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, the old tabernacle pointed to Christ, but the principle laid down in the tabernacle was what? that the way we approach God followed a proper pattern, followed a proper order. And the way that we got closer to God, the way that we got closer and closer and closer was following specific, precise steps that God had prescribed. Powerful praise that is proper means it is always in spirit and in truth, which means it's not in the flesh based on a lie. And the simplest application this has to the modern era is readily obvious. We live in a culture where people begin with culture. They begin with how contemporary music feels. They begin with how contemporary music sounds. 
They begin with not God and try to fit God into a secular, contemporary mold. But that's not powerful praise. Because powerful praise is proper. If you go into a worship service and there's lights and there's smoke and there's a, a lovely melody and you want to cry because you feel so moved and the singer is singing words with a beautiful angelic voice that moves your soul, but the lyrics, but the content of what they're saying is not biblical, that is not powerful praise that's based on a lie. So when we realize, church, that powerful praise is proper, it begins with God's content. It begins with God's truth, which now tells us the form, the way in which it's done. Powerful praise that is proper means why we do it, how we do it, and what we actually praise with begins with God and not with us. Second point. Seven marks of powerful praise. Mark number two, powerful praise is determined. Powerful praise is determined. David says, I will, four times in verses one to two. I will give thanks. I will tell. I will be glad. I will sing praise. At the top of this psalm, David makes a declarative statement about what he has determined to do. And what David has determined to do is to praise God no matter what. Verse number 13 tells us David is in a particular type of a situation. It doesn't tell us specifically what. David just says he's at the gates of Sheol, meaning he's about to die. He's about to be wiped out. The enemies have surrounded him, and his life is in danger of being lost. But David, in spite of that, regardless of the predicament he finds himself in, the first thing he resolves to do is to praise Yahweh Elyon, is to praise the God Most High. Church, this is not a cheap psychological trick. David is not trying to delude himself into blinding his eyes to his earthly realities. David is in the mouth of Leviathan. He's in the mouth of the beast. He can see the jaws closing in with sharp teeth above and below. But while he's in the mouth of the dreaded beast, he makes a declaration that I will praise God. Now, I'm not going to talk for any of you. I'm going to talk for myself. When I find myself in a tight jam, when I find myself in a conflict, my fleshly nature, the last thing I want to do is praise God. The situation rolls in my mind. I can't sleep. I'm restless. Now I only get two or three hours sleep. I wake up mad. I wake up grumpy. What do I not want to do? Praise. What do I not want to do? Pray. What do I not want to do? Deal with reality. I want the world to leave me alone. I say things like, I don't want to praise. I say things like, I don't feel like it. But here's a little life insight for you. People may think 
They have freedom of choice. But once you make a choice in life, that choice now decides for you. So if you make the determination not to praise, now the adversity wins. If you make the determination to rely on yourself and not to praise and exalt God, who is always praiseworthy, now the adversity wins. The Leviathan closes its mouth, and you are never heard from again. Once you make a choice in life, that choice now decides for you. And when you determine to praise God no matter what, who do you think is going to hear you praising him in the mouth of that beast? Who do you think is going to hear your chorus of exultation in the mouth as the lion is closing its jaws? God will. You don't have the power to slay Leviathan, but God does. And if there's any key insight we've learned thus far in Psalm Numbers 1 through 9, church, it's this. In adversity, the first person you have to be delivered from is yourself. Save from your sinfulness. Save from your carnal nature. Save from everything in your natural human nature that wants to do anything but praise God. Because David knows if he begins praising God first, he can then step into his earthly realities, not in his strength, but in God's strength. If he doesn't determine to praise God first, now he steps into that valley in his strength, and now the enemies win. Powerful praise is determined. Guess what? Unsaved people never praise God. Guess what? People who are hypocrites only saved God, only praise God in fair weather. But the godly person praises God no matter what, regardless if there are smooth waters or regardless if they are in the midst of a tsunami. Praise is not a reflex. So determine now that the next time adversity hits, that you will praise God. Now, I'm an American, so I can talk negatively about Americans. I have the right to do that. <laughs> Americans love to complain. They love to whine. They love to grumble. They're always looking out. They always have a horizontal, earthly view of reality and are always whining and complaining about something. But when you determine to whine, you fail to realize complaining never solves anything. Complaining never has any substantive value. Why waste your breath? Why waste your language complaining, speaking to earthly realities when you can instead determine to use those words to praise the one who is always worthy and deserving of all praise, God himself. Because powerful praise is determined. David says, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord. Mark number 3. Powerful praise is saturated with gratitude and thanksgiving. Powerful praise is saturated with gratitude and thanksgiving. 
Gratitude is an inward disposition of heart. It's a way of looking at God. It's, being, it's having a heart condition of gratitude. And now inward gratitude manifests as outward thanksgiving. Gratitude on the inside manifests as thanksgiving on the outside. And when we give thanks to God, when we praise God, we are essentially saying thank you for all of his divine attributes. What ingratitude does on the inside, ingratitude shuts our mouth. Ingratitude causes us to be silent and not praise and not thank God. And now that incurs the sin of ingratitude. Because when you have ingratitude on the inside, you forget about God. And when you forget about God, the next step is sin. But with gratitude on the inside, you are always thinking, and thinking about and thanking God. Now, people say silly things. They say things like, when I pray, I run out of things to say. Or they say things like, when I'm thanking God, I often lose my train of thought and am arrested in my prayers. If you are an American, that means even if you are a poor and destitute American, that means you are richer than 99% of the world. That means you are a member, you are a citizen of the richest empire in the history of human civilization, which means you do what? You don't complain. That means you praise God. Did you wake up this morning? Praise God. Did you wake up this morning knowing that God is real, that God has sent his son, that God has given us the free offer of grace? You praise God. Did you wake up in a house? You praise God. Did you wake up on a bed? Praise God. You have a pillow? You have a blanket? You praise God. Were you able to be awoken by alarm clock? You praise God because he gave you a job to make money, to pay for electricity, which made the alarm clock go off. Did you get up out of that bed with your own two feet? That means you are able-bodied. You praise God. Did you walk to the bathroom and brush your teeth? You have running water? You praise God. If you have a mirror to clean up your act before you walk outside, you praise God. Did you walk into your kitchen and open the fridge and have options? Do you have a spouse who loves you when you're unlovable? You praise God. Do you have children? Did God give you the privilege, the honor, to raise up flesh and bones human beings in the godly way? Then you praise God. When you make your breakfast, do you have a fork and a plate? You praise God. Do you have a working digestive system that allows you to process that food properly? Then you praise God. 
You praise God for what he has done, setting you free to serve him. You praise God that a perfect God has been that merciful to an imperfect preacher. But you not only praise God for what he has done, you praise God for what he has not done, not being harsher on you and me than we deserve. You praise God that he wasn't as impatient with you as you are with other people. But there's still more reasons to praise God. You praise God for what he has done, what he has not done. You even praise God for the things you don't even know about. There was a man called Balaam in the Old Testament. He was a false prophet. He tried to curse the people of Israel. He tried to. What did God do? He turned things around. And now Balaam, instead of cursing the people of Israel, he instead blessed them. While this entire episode was happening, what was Israel doing? Minding their own business on the plains of Moab. They didn't even know. God was working behind the scenes to show them grace and mercy. You praise God knowing that his grace extends well and far beyond your individual life. And when you walk around all day, every day, with an attitude of gratitude, that means your mind is always remembering God. That means your mind is always being transformed by God's nature and character, which means what? Now despair, now doubt, now sadness doesn't have any mental real estate to stand on. Now fear, now anxiety, now unbelief, all fades away, and instead you are now filled with faith, hope, and joy. Right now, there's a measles outbreak in New York City. Do you know what's more contagious than measles? Praises, because when one saint sees another saint refusing to say no to praising God, that is now a natural source of exhortation and encouragement that will uplift someone else out of a rut. When we praise, you not only benefit yourself, you also benefit those who are next to you. And now sorrow, now discouragement, now grumbling, now rebellion, now disbelief all fade away in the chorus of praise. David says, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. Mark number four, powerful praise is with the whole heart. When the Hebrew Bible says heart, it's not referring to the literal four-vessel chamber in your chest. It's referring to the totality of someone's being. When the Old Testament says heart, it's referring to the center of your trust. So when David says, I will praise God with my whole heart, that means he's all in. There's not one fiber of his being that is not praising God. And this is a theme all throughout the Psalms. Psalm 8612. Psalm 8612. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Psalm 111.1. 1. 
Praise the Lord. I will extol the Lord with all my heart in the counsel of the upright and in the assembly. Psalm 119.10. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. With all my heart means your mind is engaged. Your mind is filled with God's truth. You know who God is and what he has done. Your affections are engaged. There's an emotional component to it where you realize that praise is an honor and a privilege and your will is also engaged. Powerful praise is never forced. Powerful praise is never coerced because your will desires and yearns to praise God. Church, powerful praise as with your whole heart means at the end of the day that the praise is sincere, that it comes from a genuine place. That means the praise is never fake. Now it's above our spiritual pay grade to ever look at anyone else and discern whether their praise is sincere or not. We are never called to do that. Because when David prays with his whole heart, the only one who can discern a person's heart is God. With our natural eyes, we can be fooled. Someone can seem like they're sincerely praising on the outside, but on the inside they're empty. On the flip side, someone may seem like on the outside nothing much is going on, but on the inside they are completely and totally in love and delighting in their precious Lord and Savior. Sincere praise as with all our hearts means that we are not distracted by the situation, which is why we must determine beforehand to praise God regardless of what's going on. And guess what? With all my heart does not mean a tithe of heart. It doesn't mean one-tenth heart. It doesn't mean a quarter heart. It doesn't mean you are half-hearted. With all my heart does not mean you are absent-minded or double-minded. It doesn't mean your body is in church, but your mind is at work tomorrow. It doesn't mean you're praising God, disbelieving him. It doesn't mean you're praising God and think you're wasting your time in praising him because your time could best be spent somewhere else. In the world in which David wrote this psalm, in the ancient Near East, most people were polytheists. You had a god of a tree, a god of a city, a god of a bridge, a god of wealth, a god of rain, which meant what? That worship in that world was double-minded all the time because you were walking into one temple for the god of rain while your mind was somewhere else trusting in the god of money to give you wealth and produce. This lacked a degree of personal dedication and commitment. And the real-life application now is simple. People may not walk into a temple and serve a particular god with a double mind. But when we praise God with all of our heart, that now means... 
We're not exalting the God of our job to give us security. We're not exalting the God of another person to give us validation. We're not exalting stuff to give us a sense of worth. We're not praising any of those things because we are praising God with all our heart. That means it's praise that is sincere and it's all in. David says, end of verse 1, I will tell of all your wonders. Mark number 5, powerful praise tells of all God's marvelous wonders. And when the text says wonders, it refers to miracles or marvelous things. And at the end of the day, when we reflect upon the nature and the works of God, there is not one work that God has done that is not marvelous. God is marvelous. Therefore, everything that flows out of him is wonderful and marvelous. And the wonder that we ought to reflect upon each and every day is the wonder and the marvel of redemption. God saved us before the foundation of the world, preserves us in this life, and that wonderful gift of redemption will gift us with eternal life in paradise forever. It's a wonderful marvel that will keep on giving and not stop. But that's just one wonder of God. There's the wonder of creation that he made us in the first place. There's the wonder of providence that he's intimately involved in reality, nurturing, sustaining us each and every day. There's the wonder of prayer. There's the wonder of God's church where he separates his church from the world and keeps and preserves us. There's the wonder of the perseverance of the saints, of spiritual gifts, and there's the wonder of his word where God never leaves us alone to deal with life he gives us psalms like psalm number 9 to teach us and show us how to praise powerfully and how to hope in his justice in the midst of turmoil and those are just general wonders as you grow in your relationship with God and walk with him you're going to rank, you're going to grow the list of all the wonderful works God has done for you. And each and every day you reflect, each and every day you go back, each and every day you meditate on all the situations and things from which God delivered you, and that is when your praise is going to become the most sincere. Because you look at your gracious Lord and say, my God, you didn't have to, but you did this for me as a function of your grace. But we don't just worship the works. We worship the worker who did the works. And God would not have done marvelous works unless he himself is marvelous. And you know what happens when you begin reflecting on the marvel and wonder of God and delighting yourself in his character? It's going to begin changing you. When you truly begin sincerely praising God and your eyes are always not earthly but heavenly, it's going to transform you step by step and day by day. You look at God and when you think about giving up on someone, you look at God and say, my God, you never gave up on me.
When you think about denying someone grace, or denying someone a second chance, or denying someone unmerited favor, you're gonna look at God and say, my God, my Lord and my God, why did you ever show grace to me in the first place? With an eye, with a heart, with a mind, continually set on God, you will forever and always be in awe of our maker. And that's going to transform you step by step and day by day. Where now when you rehearse, when you remember one thing God has done, that's going to trigger your memory to remember everything else God has done. Where now you just can't stop praising God. David says, I will tell of all your wonders. Who are you going to tell? Everybody, everywhere, all the time. When you tell non-believers and praise God in the midst of the lost, that's called evangelism. When you praise God in the midst of the church, that's called encouragement. Church, do you know there are some ruts in life only praise can get you out of? In the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul talks about the saints equipped with heavenly armor, where we can armor up and get ready for life. Did you know the forces of darkness don't have armor? They don't. And when you get to praising God, when you get to exalting God, when you find yourself in and amongst the saints of God, praising and exalting his name, you are now, figuratively speaking, shooting out holy arrows of praise as people now rejoice and they make a sweet melody of exaltation, adoration of God the Father. And in and amongst the saints, that song is melodious, that song is beautiful, but to the forces of darkness, when the saints of God get together and won't stop praising him to the forces of darkness, that sounds like a dreadful nightmare, and they can't help but run. Because the forces of darkness cannot stand when a saint or saints of God, with one heart and one mind, praise him and sing a beautiful song of exaltation when they are all in. And just to make sure we're clear, church, that does not mean when you are in your praise closets that you say things like, I rebuke you, devil. Doesn't work like that. We, that's above our spiritual pay grade. We are never called to rebuke anyone. We are called to resist the devil. And one of the means by which we resist him is by praising God. Don't waste your breath talking to the spiritual degenerate that is the devil when you can instead use those words to praise and exalt God. J David says, I will tell of all your wonders. And here's a simple take-home point. Begin making it a point each and every day to tell someone something positive about God. You could tell your wife. You could tell your children. You could tell the person next to you on the train. You can tell someone. And when you begin daily 
praising God to someone, you will not only change, but you will begin to change those around you. David says, I will be glad and exult in you. Here's mark number six. Seven marks of powerful praise, mark number six. Powerful praise has a spirit of gladness and joy. Powerful praise has a spirit of gladness and joy. David says, I will be glad. This comes from a Hebrew word, samah, which means delight in, be elated, have a feeling of joy that is expressed outward. He says, I will be glad and exult, which comes from a word, alats, which means jubilant, be in a state of joy. So when David says, I will be glad and exult, what he's actually saying is, I will be delighted in joy and be filled with joy. What David is saying is, he's so filled with joy on the inside, he can't help but get that joy out in praise. But he will be glad and exult in who? In God himself. Because it is only in God that we find an overflowing abundance of joy. All true joy is found in God and God alone. Now, just so we're clear, the church has to know joy does not equal happiness. Happiness is a psychological forgery of joy. Joy is spiritual. If I came to your house later on today and said, here, so-and-so, here's a million dollars, you'd be happy. You, didn't, you wouldn't even need to be saved to get happy because it's psychological. If I then an hour later take the money away, now you're sad, proving what? That happiness was contingent. It was dependent upon circumstances. But joy has a spiritual source from a spiritual God which tends to thrive when the situation around you is perilous, just like David in Psalm number 9. Joy is not feeling good. You may actually feel horrible, but have supernatural, Holy Spirit in gifted joy, where when you are at the gates of Sheol, you will have a smile on your face and say, I will be glad and exult in my Lord and my God. Holy Spirit gifted joy does not come from our own efforts. We can't work joy up in ourselves. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5.22. We have joy in knowing that we belong to the kingdom of God and are therefore heirs of a spiritual inheritance, Romans 14.17. We procure joy by our faith, Romans 15.13. We develop joy not by, focusing on God, not by focusing on the situation, but by focusing on God, 2 Corinthians 1.24. And God gifts us with joy as a sanctifying effect of tribulation, Romans 5, verses 3 to 4. We are glad and exult in God because our minds are assured and our hearts are comforted that God has an eternal seat on his throne 
and he's never getting up. We are glad and filled with joy that God is real, that God is good, and that he uses his might to save, preserve, and deliver. I will be glad and exult in you, O Lord, because although right now may be uncertain, all of God's own know that eternity always is 1,000% secure and certain. The final verse this morning, David says, I will be glad and exult in you. The very next thing he says is, I will sing praise to your name. What David is telling us here is that gladness and joy on the inside breaks through as song on the outside. Because joy on the inside animates a life of praise And praise is what a joy-filled life is saturated with. Now, I never compete with David because David was a Renaissance man. He was a politician. He was a general. He was a strategist. He was a slingshot thrower. He was a shepherd. He was a harpist. He was a Renaissance man. So when David says, I will sing, it's, it's plausible to say that when David actually sang, it sounded good. Now, I'm not going to sing. That is a gift God did not give me. If I sing, it induces dizziness, nausea, confusion, and altered mental status. I'm not going to do it. But if you're like me, and you can't sing, and singing is not a good idea, and you don't have a tune or a melody to belt out, what you are able to do is compose a song with the tone of your choice words, with the tune of your behavior, and the melody of your character. What I'm saying, beloved, is you can compose a song that praises God with your life, with who you are and how you conduct yourself in and amongst other people. And here's a newsflash for you. If you don't get used to singing songs to God now, you're going to be in a surprise in heaven. What heaven is, is a 24-7, 365, nonstop worship service forever. There's lots of lights. It's going to be loud because you have angels, seraphim, the church. It's going to be crazy. So get used to singing songs to God now. Here's a vision of that scene. Revelation 15, 2-4. This is what the Apostle John sees. Revelation 15, 2-4. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the two songs, and the song 
of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God the Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all the nations come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. The last thing David says is I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. The final mark. Seven marks of powerful praise. Mark number seven. Powerful praise is directed at none other than the Most High. To the name of God, El Elyon, God Most High. Now hear what I'm saying. When the seventh mark of powerful praise is that we sing to the Most High, that's not a superficial point that says when you compose a song, you just say El Elyon. It means when you praise God, by an act of faith, you actually believe with the totality of your being that God is Most High that besides him, there is none other, and at the apex of every power or authority in the universe, there is one whose name is El Elyon. And look at what David does. David uses a particular name of God, El Elyon. When is the first time that name is used in the Bible? In Genesis 14, verses 18 to 20. What happened there? There, God did something similar to what he's going to do for David in Psalm number 9. God saved his servant Abram and delivered him from a perilous and troublesome situation. There in Genesis 14, God's purposes triumphed, and as a function of God's will being done, Abram was delivered. This is what Genesis 14, 18 to 20 says. And Melchizedek, and a pre-incarnate Christ, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Our God, God Most High, El Elyon. This means he is king, he is conqueror, he is lord, and he never gets off his heavenly throne, which is located in the heavens above and is most high. And when David sings a song to the name of the Lord, he's reflecting on God's nature, his character, who God is, what he has done. He's reflecting on the fact that God has delivered his people in the past, and therefore David has confidence that he will deliver his servant now in the present. So when we sing praises, church, to El Elyon, to our God Most High, we reflect on who God is as a function of a name that inspires trust, a name that inspires hope. But God has many other names in the Bible which as well inspire trust, 
inspire hope. God is known as El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, meaning God is mightier than your problem. God is El Olam, the everlasting God, meaning God will outlast any purposes that are not his. God is Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. This means our loving shepherd cares for us, nurtures us. Our loving shepherd knows our name and will call out to us to make sure we remain in his flock. There's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals, spirit, mind, and body. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Newsflash, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all the time, meaning you may not think God is there, but he can't stop being everywhere all the time. God can never go anywhere because he is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who will provide. He provides his word, his promises, and a blueprint of how to hope in his justice. And Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. Because when we, in a predicament, enter into the mighty fortress that is our God, we have peace knowing that no matter who tries to storm the castle, they cannot penetrate walls fortified by omnipotence. And therefore, we are peace and safe. And in contrast to human beings who may, be, who may have the name of good Monday morning and the name of evil Monday evening, all those names I just mentioned, God embodies those attributes, God embodies those traits, always, all the time. Now at the end of verse number two, let's zoom out and make sure we put everything in context. And I've alluded to this before. David in verses one to two engages in one thing. He's just praising God. And what David does, he fortifies himself in God's strength and he fortifies himself now trusting in, now hoping in, and being confident in God. Now what happens is, in verse number three, David is going to step out of this praise circle and step down into the valley of conflict. But he fortifies his strength in God first before he does that, for, if he, for had he not determined to praise God first, he would now be going out in his own strength and would invariably fall. And looking forward to the rest of the psalm, what is David praising El Elyon for? He's praising God for God's victory over his enemies, verses 3 to 6. He's praising God for working out justice and right judgment on earth, verses 7 to 8. He's praising God for being a refuge from the wicked, verses 9 to 10. He's praising God for grace and salvation, verses 11 to 14. He's praising God that evil nations will fall when God reveals himself, verses 15 to 18. And he prays for El Elyon to arise, verses 19 to 20. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Church, we began this morning's sermon by embracing the fact that reality ebbs and flows. 
And we are natural flesh and bones human beings that live in that reality. And one of the hardest things we can do is determine to praise God in the midst of adversity. No one is perfect. No one is perfect. Therefore, we can never offer perfect, powerful praise to God. Thankfully, by God's grace, we never have faith in ourselves, but we look to Christ, who is the perfect praise of God. Our rejoicing is in our Lord and Savior, not in our situation. Christ is the one who offered a praise that was proper, that was determined, that stemmed from an attitude of gratitude and came out as thanksgiving. Christ is the only person who could ever say that I will and I have praised God with all my heart because he, was, he is sinless and perfect, not polluted by sin. Christ is the one whose praise of God came from a source of gladness and joy, and his entire life was a song that not only declared the wonders of God, he did wonders in doing his miracles. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was declared to be the Son of God. He was declared to be El Elyon, with power. And that is why we praise and exalt him. Christ Church is the living, breathing, eternal, sovereign manifestation of perfect, powerful praise. Our closing prayer this morning comes from the Puritan, the classic Puritan prayer book called Valley of Vision. And our closing prayer comes from the hymn titled, Praise and Thanksgiving. Let us pray. O oh my God, thou fairest, greatest, first of all objects, my heart admires, adores, loves thee, for my little vessel is as full as it can be, and I would pour out all the fullness before you in ceaseless flow. When I think upon and converse with you, 10,000 delightful thoughts spring up. 10,000 sources of pleasure are unsealed. 10,000 refreshing joys spread over my heart, crowding into every moment of happiness. I bless thee for the soul that you have created, for adorning it, sanctifying it, though it is fixed in barren soil for the body you have given me, for preserving its strength and vigor, for providing senses to enjoy delights, for the ease and freedom of my limbs, for hands, eyes, ears that do your bidding, for your royal bounty providing my daily support, for a full table and overflowing cup, for appetite, taste, sweetness, for social joys of relatives and friends, for the ability to serve others, for a heart that feels sorrows and necessities, for a mind to care for my fellow men, for opportunities of spreading happiness around, for loved ones in joys of heaven, for my own expectation of seeing you clearly. I love you above the powers of language that can express 
for what are your creatures? Increase my love, O God, through time and eternity. Praise God and amen. We do hope that you have been enriched and equipped by the preaching of Dr. Sadoffel. For more valuable resources, please visit WCSK.org. Until next time, peace be with you, and to God be the glory forever.